Thank you for joining me on Spazzing Out. Spazzing Out is brought to you by Take Junk. Take Junk is my junk removal company for all your junk removal needs. Go to takejunk.com, call 844-TAKE-JUNK, or you can book online, like I just said, takejunk.com. Where to start? I guess we could talk about the coronavirus briefly and how the state of Massachusetts is in a state of emergency and there is absolutely no traffic thanks to the coronavirus. Today, I had to do a job south of Boston, and I left at about 7 o'clock, which is usually a nightmare, and boom, nobody's on the road. I got straight through Boston with ease, and then I was on my way heading north from Boston around 4.30. No traffic whatsoever, so on the upside, that, that's a great thing. There's no traffic. On the downside, uh, there are things that you can't buy at the store. But luckily, and I don't want anybody to panic uh, as I was. Uh, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to buy toilet paper. And luckily, I was able to find some toilet paper at a grocery store in Wilmington, Mass. Um, I made a little video of it. If you want to check it out, at Spaz, W-A-A-F on Twitter, at Spaz. At WAF, uh, wait, at Spaz WAF Instagram. You can check it on my Facebook, TikTok, which is at Anthony Paz. But luckily, thank God, I was able to get toilet paper. I was also able to get water and hand sanitizer for my family. I don't use hand sanitizer. I don't get sick. I haven't been sick in ages. So I'm not really that worried about it. Maybe I will get it. Maybe I won't. But... I just think it's fantastic that there's no traffic. Oh, wait. You know what I wanted to say? What my my I deducted. This is the this is great. What I've deducted from the fact that there is no traffic. I want you guys to think about this. Governor Baker says the executive branch, everybody's going to work from home. All non-essential state workers are going to stay home. Then the next day, there's no traffic. Now, everybody in the private sector still had to work. What does that say to you? Most people are employed by the government. All these people, millions and millions of people in Massachusetts, the government. So, I don't know what the point is there. I'm just trying to say a ton of people work for the government and they're all at home and there's no traffic. So... It's a good thing for me, at least. Here's what I'd like to cover today on Spazzing Out. The American Dream, one of my favorite topics. What is the new male trend? What are men wearing? Excuse me. And I'd like to talk about this douchebag hockey coach that got fired here in Massachusetts and what he did. Let's start with the American Dream. Here are the elements that we believe consist of the American dream. So uh, this is another one of those studies that went out. They talked to 2,000 people and asked them a a simple question. The the survey asked people, what elements make up the American dream today? And here are the top five. All right. Or I'll give you the, you know what? They have 10 of them. 
I'll give you the top 10, and then I'll tell you what I think the American dream means. Some of these answers are very snowflake, very millennial. The first one I agree with, this is a good one, uh, 56% of people say the American dream to them means owning their own home. I can agree with that. I think it's very important to own your own property, to graze your family, white picket fence. I mean, you don't have to have the white picket fence, but I think that's a good one. Owning your own home, great one. Owning a car is the next one. 53% believe that the American dream means owning your own car. I think that goes hand in hand with uh, all of these are kind of all similar. I, well, number one, own your own home. Number two, own your own car. I feel like those are the same thing. You want to you wanna be a man. You should just say it like that. Like, I want to be a man. I want to have a good job. I want opportunity so that I can buy my own car, so that I can have my own house. Next one, number three, family. 50% said family. Everybody wants to have a family here in America, but it all kind of, this is all going to wrap together because the next one is start your own business, 43%. Number five, this is a weird one, but people's American dreams is they want to pay off their student loans. That's their American dream. Oh God, I want to pay off my student loans. That's what, that's what George Washington and all the, 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 the Tea Party and all the Sons of Liberty and all the guys that, that Lexington and Concord battle, that all these Americans and the revolution died for so that you could pay off your student loans. Some American dream that is. Um, the next one is to have a good education for your kids, 31%. Number seven is to live in the suburbs. Number eight is to get a good job. Well, you're going to need a good job. To pay for all the other things you wanted. Um, another one with debt, number nine, is pay off credit card debt. I don't understand how that's the American dream at all. Being in debt is the worst possible thing you can do. If you can't buy it, then don't buy it. Or if you, I didn't want to say it like that. If you don't have the money for something, don't buy it. I'm, I have, I've got some, I've had some bad experiences with debt. I'm dealing with bad debt that I have, and it is. It's crippling. Stay away from debt. That shouldn't be your American dream to pay off debt. And then the uh, number 10 is realizing your potential. I actually like that one. So I'm going to tell you what the American dream means to me. And kind of a, I think it still means this to a lot of Americans. So my father, Stan, he was born in Italy. Now, he's not the one that decided to come here to America his father did. My grandfather, Alfonso Paziali, he decided one day. Now, now this is a guy. Wait a second. This is a guy that was forced to fight under Mussolini. All willing, no, I wouldn't say willing. All able men had to fight. They didn't have a choice. You had to fight for this guy. You had to join his military. Forced to join. It's an. It was an oppressive society at the time. Ruled by a uh, by a ruthless dictator, and my grandfather decides that he's going to move to America. He's going to take my dad, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, something like that. My uncle Ralph, my auntie Lena, my auntie Gina, and they're going to move to the United States of America so that they can have an opportunity at what the American dream really is: freedom, the opportunity to do whatever you want. To make as much money as you want. To be as happy as you want. To do anything you want. To find and realize your greatest potential. 
But now, I want you guys to realize it goes a lot deeper than that. My grandfather left his family behind. He left everything behind. They had a farm. They had a good living there. But he knew that coming to America would be the best for his family. So they came here and they lived in a small apartment. And my grandfather lived there his entire life in Somerville. And they all crammed into this one, I think it was a two-bedroom apartment. My grandfather and my uncle, my, my two aunts, and my father. And he moved here to give them a better life. And then my father took it one step better. My father lived in that apartment, but he went one step better. He got himself a really good job. He worked hard, became a middle-class man, got himself out of the, the apartment in Somerville, took himself up a step and moved to the suburbs and bought a house in Woburn, a nice house, had five boys, Stan, Anthony, Michael, Jesse, Jamie, raised these boys hard to make sure that we could take care of ourselves without him. But the purpose of it was to do one better. My grandfather sacrificed and came here. He struggled so that my father could take the next step in the American dream and become a middle-class working man. Now, my father worked his butt off as a middle-class guy, happened to die young. He died when he was 58, had a heart attack. But he worked his whole life so that we could be one step better. Now, if all of us, anybody in my family settles to be a working class man, I guess that's all right. You know what? If you want to be working class, good. But that's not why my grandfather came here. That's not why my father was a working class man. My grandfather sacrificed to come here and live in a small apartment so that my father could do one better in the American dream ring, rung or whatever, and be middle class. And my father worked his ass off in middle class so that I could be better than that. So that I could start my own business, take junk. So that I could start a, you know, well, so that I could take that business and I could one better myself. So that I can get my family out of the middle class. So that I can one better. If I don't do one better than my father and if I just do the same thing he did, then that's killing the American dream. Paying off debts isn't the American dream. Doing one better is. Moving up in society. So if I can struggle with my business, but make it work so that it grows into an amazing business, I can pass that on to my son and to my daughter. And now my son and my daughter should hopefully have some kind of residual income from an amazing business that I've created. And then they can do what they want to do. Maybe they get into charities or maybe they become congressmen or maybe they, they, they become leaders of the community because they'll have time to do that because they'll be better off. Now, God willing... I'll hope they'll be fucking loaded so that they don't have to work. I don't want to have snowflake kids, but I'll tell you what, I'd love to pass on a couple of million dollars or more to them when I'm done. So that's what the American dream is. One bettering the people that came before you. My grandfather, small apartment in Somerville. My father takes it one step higher, moves to Woburn, becomes a middle-class working hot-ass, a hot-ass working middle-class man. Made himself a good life, nice family, good education for his kids, and a beautiful home. And now it's my job to take it one step further with, with my business, Take Chunk. I started this company with $8,500 when my father passed away. Now, this company's done, it, it's done pretty well. I, I'll tell you what, I've made more than my $85,000 back. 
on Take Chunk. And someday we can get into how much revenue it does and all that stuff. But it's a really good business and it's done really well and it continues to do well. Now, I still have to grind every single day. I got to get up every day early and I got to get out there and work my ass off. But I'm going to get away. I'm going to break out of the middle class. I'm going to be higher than the middle class so that my kids can be better. That's what the American dream is. One, doing one better than the than what your family had. My grandfather didn't get up from fucking Italy to come over here so we could all be a bunch of bums. Absolutely not. So hopefully maybe someday my kids will hear this and they'll understand that it's their responsibility to do one better than me. That's what the American dream is. Stepping it up, doing one better. It's literally... If you can be better than what your parents did, that's the American dream. Your parents worked very hard for you. Your parents gave up on their dreams probably when they had you so that you could do one better than them. So continue with the American dream. Continue to work hard and be one better than your parents, especially if you came here from another country and you are the first generation like I am. Continue to work hard. That's This is why they came here. They came here for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Plain and simple. And you need to make that happen. All right. Here's my little rant on the American dream. I could go on and on and on and on. Let's go on to the, uh, let's get on to the next thing. Um, yes. Let's go from uh, the American dream to what used to be an American male fantasy. Um, this next story is, there is a new trend, new male trend. You guys aren't going to believe this, or maybe you already saw the story and I will just talk about it. But apparently, uh, the new male accessory are pearl necklaces. As that's a long, dramatic pause so that I can reiterate that men are starting to wear pearl necklaces. Now, if you are a 40 year old white man like myself, There are only two meanings for a pearl necklace. One, your grandmother wore pearls. She had nice pearls and she had crappy pearls. She'd get the nice pearls out for, you know, special guest or something and the crappy pearls out for, you know, I don't know, going to see you play. By that, I mean, you know, like going to like one of your high school plays or or younger. Now, there's only one other meaning for pearl necklace. I don't really want to get vulgar. I don't want to get disgusting. I think we all know what I'm talking about. Please, for the love of God, if I have to explain to you what men think a pearl necklace is, that's why I can't fathom that these people, are, are you know, Harry Styles, I, I guess he probably would want a pearl necklace. And uh, for fucking, I can't even, let me see, who else is wearing them? Anyways, there's a bunch of guys, there's a bunch of dudes that are wearing pearls. Alice Cooper's one of them, which is just absolutely insane to me. Because when I think pearl necklace, I mean, can I say it? Should I? No, I, I, you know what? I just, I don't need to go there. I can try to keep it a little, I, I want to keep it classy. But a pearl necklace, how do I don't put it? This is something that my generation grew up when someone said, oh, you know, you're going to get your girl a pearl necklace. That's like, you know, pearl necklace. 
Disgusting. You guys know what I mean. Anyways, I'm going to move on from that. Because you know what? Maybe I should talk about that. On this podcast, do I get vulgar? And I'll say it. Do I call a pearl necklace what a pearl necklace is? Which is basically you fucking come on a girl's neck and you give her a pearl necklace. Do I say this kind of stuff? Or do I not? Should I stay more creative and just kind of say what I said, which was, I think we all know what a pearl necklace is. I don't really have to get gross and disgusting about it. I'm not really sure. That's the truth. I don't really know how to bring that up. I'm honestly not sure how I all feel, how I feel about the whole podcast thing, because I'm finding it very difficult to just talk to myself. I really wish I had somebody else to go off of. I don't know how these guys on Fox News, uh, you know, sit in front of a camera and just talk to themselves. It'd be nice to sit here and, and, and have a little fun back and forth about pearl necklaces and whether or not dudes should be wearing them and whether or not they're still con- considered perverted. I mean, I, I just don't see how the pearl necklace can come back from what guys think it is to guys actually wearing them. I just, I don't understand it. So I guess it would be pretty cool if I had someone that I could talk to about it. But, all right, well, there you have it. Some dudes uh, like to wear pearl necklaces. I still prefer to uh, to give, uh, you know, my wife a pearl necklace <laughs> instead of wearing them. But that's just me. All right, so let's get to this last story. This is a um, story out of Massachusetts. Give me a sec to find it because I want to make sure I get the details right. But a uh, 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 here we go. A youth hockey coach in Massachusetts has been fired after he stormed onto the ice during a game and attacked a referee. The story really goes that, uh, according to people that were at the game, the coach was banging on the door. So if you can imagine what an ice rink looks like and you got the door where the guys go in and out, in and out. And the coach was upset about something, and he's banging on the door, banging on the door, and he's yelling. Now, this is this is a kid's, this is 12 and under hockey. And he's banging on the door, but he's yelling profanity. You know, he's swearing. He's saying, fuck this, fuck you, fuck that. Yelling at the referee around the kids, which, again, I, I don't really know. I swear in front of my kids. Um, I try not to, but... You know, I'm not, anybody that says they don't swear in front of their kids is full of shit. But I try not to. And then when I do, and my 12-year-old calls me out on it, I, I just tell him, I was like, buddy, you know, you're, you're right. You shouldn't swear. And using the F word, why, he always says, why do I get to use it? And I say, well, because I know when to use it. Which is not true, because I just use it all the time. Because that's just how I grew up. My mother used to swear all the time. I mean, me and my brothers have this story that we talk about where my brother Mike got called down the principal office for, he threw a note off the back of one of his buddy's front, uh, uh, buddy's heads, and the teacher read the note, and he got called down to the office, and my mom's there, and the principal hands my mom the note, and this this is what the note says. My mom, look, my mom, look, the principal hands my mom the note. My mom looks at it and goes, what the fuck is a fuck, Todd? And then the principal looks at my brother and says, Okay, I understand. Because my mom had uh, had a trash mouth. Anyways, back to the hockey thing. This coach is banging, banging, and swearing and yelling. 
and the team gets a penalty at first for it, a bench penalty. The guy continues to do it, so the ref kicks him out of the game. So this guy and this guy goes out into the ice and he spits in the ref's face. So when he gets when the ref got spit in the face, the ref pushes him and then the coach beats the shit out of the ref. And you know, the guy gets dragged off whatever. So there's kind of two issues here. First one, 100% the coach should have been fired. You don't you don't go on the ice, buddy. You don't spit in somebody's face. And then you don't beat the shit out of them. You're coaching. This isn't professional hockey. It's not college hockey. It's it's not elite hockey. It's not even a travel team, dude. Or high school. These are 12-year-old kids. And you have to set an example. And I can can understand that you can get heated. Dude, I get heated all the time. But in front of the kids, you're supposed to be setting an example. Sportsmanship. You're supposed to understand that, you know what, maybe sometimes the ref's going to get it wrong and you got to be able to handle it and you got to look at the kids that are playing and you got to say, hey, I feel like that the ref made a mistake, but you know what, refs don't decide whether or not we win or lose. Go out there, you play well, you're going to win. If we lose because of a ref decision, hey, it happens. You have to keep your anger in in front of the kids. You certainly don't swear and yell enough to get yourself kicked out of the game and then then spitting in a ref's face is the right thing to do. It's disgusting. If I had a kid on my team that that talked back to a ref, if I had a kid on my team, if I was a coach and you talked back to a ref, you forget about spitting on a ref. If you talk back to a ref, you're out. Bye. See you later. Absolutely not. You have to learn respect. Some of these kids... <clears throat> don't have a good home. Some of these kids aren't learning respect at home. They learn. I learned a lot of respect. Like my dad taught me respect, but I also got, I had good coaching. I played football for Joe Tobby. Man, this guy taught me all about respect. I wrestled for Donnie McLaughlin, Mike Capone. These guys taught me respect. When I played football for Rocky Nelson, that guy taught me how to, they taught me how to be a man. This guy taught me respect. There was no fucking around. There was no talking back. There was no whining. You had respect, sportsmanship, and you kept your mouth shut. So now this guy goes out there, beats up the ref. But there's some of the story that's missing. I think the ref should be in trouble for putting his hands on the coach. I understand that the guy spit on him. But you don't put your hands on somebody. It's just spit. All you should have did is took the spit. You should have showed the kids that you're a better man. You shouldn't have put your hands on the coach. Now, I'm not saying you need to. I don't know if you you need to be suspended or not. I'm just saying you could have. You had an opportunity to show everybody that you were the better man and to show good sportsmanship. And you just turned the other cheek. You got you. They. The dude spit in your face. It would have calmed the altercation. You would have took the spit. The guy would have looked like a complete asshole. He still would have got fired for spitting in your face. And this way you would have been clean of it. Coach definitely should be fired. But the ref should have never put his hands on the man. I'm not saying the ref should be should be kicked out. I'm saying you escalated the situation. You've got to in life be able to take a hit. People are going to spit on you. People are going to hit you. Only you can choose whether to retaliate or not. I can't control what the other guy's going to do, but I can control me. 
And if you didn't put your hands on the guy, you just took the spit in the face, the other coach would have came over like he did. The other coach is on the record saying, my guy was was wrong and should be fired, so he was. If you just took the spit and you skated away, there would have been no fight and no altercation in front of these kids. Bad on both of you guys. Terrible sportsmanship. Terrible example for these kids. Terrible. No one should spit on anybody. I agree. But there's no reason to put your hands on that coach. You take the spit like a man, and then you walk away. That's what sportsmanship's about. Sportsmanship is not about fighting on the ice in front of 12-year-old kids. Because now they think that's the right thing to do. They think that it's okay uh, to put your hands on somebody in a game like that. It's not. You should both be ashamed of yourself. We all have to be better. Especially when we're coaching kids. Especially when most of these kids don't have good, respectful parents at home. And they go to sports to learn who to be. How to compete in good sportsmanship. You should have never touched the man. If anything, you would look more like a man if you could have taken the spit. This isn't a bar. You're not... You're not in Boston where some punk-ass kid spits on you and you, you and your boys think it's great to beat the fuck out of them. You're a ref in a hockey league for 12-year-old kids and you ignited the situation. The coach should have been fired, but you're lucky you didn't get in trouble too.